Um, welcome to Diddy Diddy Talk. Yeah, <laughs> welcome. Thanks for joining us. Who do we have on the show today, Mike? Today we've got Lewis. He's the chairperson for the New Zealand Republic. It's an advocacy group that's basically like, you know what? We should have our own head of state and we should leave the monarchy. Makes sense to me. Yeah, it does. Um, Cool guy. Great, great chat. Let's start with a headline or a few. Let's do it. Okay, so a Florida man has been charged with assault using a deadly weapon without intent to kill. His weapon... Can you guess what his weapon was? <laughs> Any guesses? No. I'm just... <laughs> an alligator. Yeah, it's amazing. His weapon was an alligator. Joshua James. Cool name, by the way. Joshua James. Catchy. Allegedly threw an alligator through a Palm Beach County Wendy's drive through How does that even happen? Will you even get to the point of having an alligator in your car? Well, apparently he found the 3.5-foot alligator on the side of the road and decided to put it in his truck before throwing it at a Wendy's employee. Did, Luckily, no one got hurt. Okay, did they say, did, was there, was, did they give a motive for why he did this? No, honestly, I read through to the end of the article, which I don't always do, <laughs> but I did, because I was like, why did he do this? No reason was given, given for why he did it. Um, all it said was that he's going to have a mental health assessment. But I mean, like... Assault using a deadly weapon. Yeah. I could understand, I don't know, like some cruelty to animals type situation where it's like, oh, you know, the the person threw the thing, but not assault with a deadly weapon. He wasn't trying to assault them with a deadly weapon, was he? Well, he did throw it at an employee. I mean, did they give him the wrong burger? I have no idea. (laughs) Like, what the hell? I love this story. It's great. But it's a thing. It happened. So I thought I'd share it with the world. Uh, moving on, uh, we've got a, a a Taiwanese math teacher. So this <clears throat> this guy has adopted a new strategy in order to find new students. He's posting his calculus lessons on Pornhub and OnlyFans. That's right. He his new strategy has worked. His videos on Pornhub have accumulated over one point four million views. Pretty cool, eh? Wait. So he's putting his lessons, like his math lessons, on Pornhub. Yeah. Is he getting money from that? Well, it's it's a marketing strategy. So what happened was about a year ago, he lost his job and he was suffering from depression. And he basically said, oh, fuck it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to whack everything on the internet. So he basically, you know, started that he wanted to like get some new things going, try and get some new clients. And he's got more than a thousand new students. And this is what's really cool as well. In the, in the, in the, um, in the article that I, I read, he's got a message for us. He said, I hope that through this hidden part of my journey, which is referring to the fact that he lost his job and he had depression, I can give more people the strength to let them know that maybe if they stick to a certain path, they will see the dawn of hope. Oh, he's an inspiration. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing well. Okay. Um, well, from one man's investments, I guess, or marketing strategies to another. Damn, you're good at that. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so leaders at one of the largest investment firms in the world, State Street Global Advisors, will now need to ask permission to hire white men as it rolls out a diversity hiring initiative. First thoughts, Mike? It's great. Okay. I mean, it's that people have been trying to do this for ages. Right. And I like my first thoughts about this was, um, those, what do you call it? Big corporate type things. They're like way behind everywhere else, right? 
And a lot of people are like, well, we want to have quotas and stuff like that. So it's good. Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies are saying that they want to move towards this in theory. But what I love about this company is they're actually doing it in practice and they have measures around it. So they aim to triple the number of black, Asian and other minority staff in senior positions by 2023. And if executives don't meet the target, they face lowered bonuses. Mm. Um, And I mean, they're still going to hire white men. But recruiters are required to show that women and minority applicants were interviewed by the panels. And these panels have to include at least one woman and a person of a minority background when hiring middle management staff. Yeah, there was like, there's been a lot of studies around that with having um, more diverse sort of like senior senior positions, mm, eh? Yeah. Where, where they basically, they do better off because you have a, a more diverse sort of set of viewpoints on any decision you might make around business. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it starts with management, right? If we get it right at the top, that's going to influence the whole company culture and people will actually be able to have a voice, including diverse people and people from minority backgrounds. So I think it's an awesome thing. For sure. Let's chat about the New Zealand becoming a an independent nation. <laughs> 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 independent of independent of, of of the queen obviously of me old lady yeah, yeah 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 so we have lewis joining us on the show um lewis is representing an organization called the new zealand public republic which is an advocacy group that campaigns for a new zealander as the head of state and for new zealand to become a republic so they assert that new Ze- a new zealander should be the head of state um and this affirms our independence is what i said before (laughs) 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 otherwise it just sounds super random um and it represents all of us as in new zealand um and that new zealand's constitutional arrangement should reflect a unique dynamic and diverse country and that it will make aotearoa a more democratic country lewis is the chairperson for the group and joins us now kia ora lewis kia ora hey lewis um Let's get stuck into it. So the New Zealand Republic movement advocates that New Zealand should be a republic. That is to say, we should basically get rid of the queen and the monarchy and we would have our own constitution amongst a few other things as well. Um, Why do you think this actually matters and what would change? I think it matters for a a few reasons, but the, the main one is really about our sense of identity and our independence. Having your own head of state is what mature countries have countries that have um, you know, asserted their sense of nationhood and you know, created a symbol that really brings all of their, their people, the citizens of their country together. So it matters for that reason. I think that you know, this, this process of change is really about um, making the right changes to our, our constitutional makeup, which is actually reasonably straightforward, um, and we'll probably get into why that is uh, a little, a little uh, later on. But it's it's really about bringing that symbol home here to uh, to Aotearoa. So I'm guessing, Lewis, that we would be developing a new constitution as a country. What what would that look like, and what would happen to Te Tiriti Te or Waitangi? Yeah, th- this is the I think probably the main issue when you talk about a head of state uh, in New Zealand is Te Tiriti because. In 1840, of course, it was signed between uh, the Rangatira, the leaders of, of various iwi, and also uh, representatives of the British Crown. Um, what then happened in 1947, though, is that we actually split uh, from the British Crown 
and created what they call the New Zealand crown. So legally, they actually already separated. So obviously, in 1840, the uh, representatives of the British crown and various uh, rangatira of iwi from around Aotearoa signed uh, to Treaty of Waitangi. And then what happened in 1947 was we had this thing called the Statute of Westminster Adoption Act. And what that actually did was it eventually split us away from the British Crown. So we actually have today legally a New Zealand Crown. And that's reflected in things like uh, you talk about the Queen and Right of New Zealand in Treaty of Waitangi settlements. Uh, you don't talk about the, the Queen of England. So in reality, when you go and change that uh, relationship, when you become a republic, you actually then take those responsibilities which the New Zealand Crown has, and then you give them to a New Zealand head of state. So it's not legally a difficult thing to do what what the big question really is is symbolism of who the head of state actually is and we think obviously for our campaign is that that that's what the real uh, big issue is here because you know fundamentally when you talk about the treaty uh, a lot of people talk about well there's a you know, special relationship uh, with the british royals etc well you know anyone who looks at the history of it uh, will see that there were plenty of um, of chiefs uh, who went to England and said, look, you know, this colonial government in New Zealand is doing all sorts of things which are clearly in breach of the treaty, uh, you know, confiscations, etc. And they did nothing about it. And so really it's about asserting what is the reality, which is that the treaty relationship has always actually been with Kawanatanga, uh, which is actually the New Zealand government uh, and Māori. It's not actually with the, the British rules at all. So we think that's actually a real positive uh, in the changeover to a republic is that you actually assert what is already the truth, which is that, you know, if anyone today has an issue with uh, breaches of the treaty, they don't go to Buckingham Palace, they go to the Beehive. Right. So in saying that, what role would Māori and Iwi play in being able to develop a new constitution? I think, yeah, this again is, is really central to this whole discussion. And it's something that when we look at how we would bring about uh, the change, it really needs to be a, a clear uh, consultative process. Because the stuff that I was sort of talking about, some people I think probably have a, an idea about what needs to change and, and all those sorts of things. But but really there does need to be a, a nationwide discussion, you know, a, a you know, probably the, the biggest you know, treaty negotiation since 1840, really, um, about these issues and about what it actually all means, um, you know, especially for iwi um, within you know, a future New Zealand um, head of state and so, what that looks like. So in other words, kind of we work through it together. We have discussions involving iwi and, and various, I don't know, people who, who would have an interest in changing over um, and, and becoming a republic. Absolutely, yeah. And I think we, you know, we, we all have an interest, but with our country specifically, uh, when you look at the Commonwealth, the, the treaty is you know, quite a unique thing. Uh, it's actually you know, reasonably unusual uh, when you look at a lot of the countries in, in the Commonwealth today. So that is really the central uh, constitutional issue and discussion that we need to have. So in choosing New Zealand's head of state, would the New Zealand Republic prefer direct elections to decide who, who that who that person would be or would this be a parliamentary vote and what's the difference um and also would this new head of state have any new powers yeah so so the issue of how you elect the head of state is of course the big one um when you come to having a vote on it 
Because there's a lot of people who say, oh, yes, no, we support having a, a republic, but only if we get to vote directly for whoever the head of state is. And then you get some people who say, oh, no, I'd only support it if it's chosen by parliament because I don't want it to be done by a direct election. And basically the, the reason for that is that you've got a whole bunch of people who don't want to have a former politician as head of state. Um, and some people who just go, well, you know, we don't care either way as long as we get to actually choose who that is. So that, that's the issue there. And that issue is really the reason why Australia voted against becoming a republic um, 20 years ago, actually, now. Um, and, you know, a reasonably close vote. But there was a clear division between the supporters of change. And, of course, then, you know, change didn't happen. Um, the arguments both ways, as I said, are, you know, really one, one side says, well, directly electing the head of state is the more democratic way of doing it. Uh, and the people who say, well, you know, we have a parliamentary chosen head of state. That means that uh, it won't necessarily be a politician. Um, you can put in safeguards around that. So, you know, what we propose um, in New Zealand Republic is that it's a three quarters majority in parliament. And that means that you've got to have someone who's acceptable really to both sides, but they would be a person pretty much like the governor general at the moment, really, who would not be offensive necessarily to either side of politics. So someone who would be able to bring people together which of course would not be um, someone who was a former politician or someone who was quite partisan. Um, that, that'd be largely, you know, Dame Cindy Cairo, um, you know, Jerry Mataparai, Anand Sachinand, th those kind of people, you know, former high court judges and, and so on, because, you know, they, they tend not to offend people so much. So our policy, as I said, is that uh, what we would like to see first is that the governor general is actually chosen in that way uh, before we make the change to a republic. Uh, then we'd make the change uh, and then eventually we'd have a decision about whether or not we keep it as parliamentary appointment or we go for direct election. And we think that's probably the most democratic way of doing it. And and would this new head of state have any new powers? Yeah, so the, the powers thing is another interesting discussion because when you look around the world at, um, you know, take the United States, that's the one that most people will think of. They have a very powerful head of state. Um, so the head of state has a lot of control over uh, the executive of uh, the United States government, um, which then gives them, you know, obviously the United States military, etc., um, which has got a number of checks from the legislative branch, but not necessarily um, as strong as you know, you'd see in some other countries. I think we generally look at countries where you've got you know, quite a long democratic tradition, but also ones where um, you know, we can sort of compare ourselves in terms of that parliamentary model of democracy. And, and it's quite clear when you look at the history of you know, countries around um, South America, etc., that parliamentary democracies tend to be a lot stronger in terms of preserving um, you know, people's right to vote and the ability of uh, people to be able to throw out governments that they don't like. So we tend to, to stick towards that model of having a head of state that is above the, the fray of the you know, party system, but is also someone who can, if need be, have the power to uh, intervene you know, in specific circumstances. And that is largely what you've got with the Governor General. Um, you know, obviously, there's been examples throughout the Commonwealth, again, where you've had Governors General who've said, hey, you know, we're going to have an election now because there's too much fighting between the different factions, etc., um, we think that that's, you know, generally speaking, a good model. Um, if you've got someone who is above the fray, um, but able to act as sort of an adjudicator, a referee, so to speak, 
um, that person is really there to do that job um, and to keep things in check. Uh, if you go down the path of giving you know, your head of state more and more power, you end up in the, you know, as I said, you know, the sort of South American uh, and United States type model, which um, you know, from what we've seen, most New Zealanders are completely against. Just as a real quick thing, could you point to any examples of um, places where you think New Zealand could model our um, sort of change or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's quite a few countries that have a parliamentary style system um, that choose the head of state through parliament. Um, India is probably the biggest one that most people would know. Um, they're a member of the Commonwealth. You've also got um, countries like Malta, um, which is a country in the, the Mediterranean just off Italy. Italy does it as well. Um, they've got a, a, a ceremonial type president. Um, examples of countries where they're directly elected, you've got Republic of Ireland. They have direct elections, although the interesting thing there is that they tend to restrict it quite a lot in terms of who can actually stand. So they only really have votes for their president once every 14 years because their president can serve for seven years. So it's quite a quite a long time between drinks when they have presidential elections, but they do restrict it quite a bit. Um, so yeah, that's an example where they, they directly elect it and that works reasonably well for them. I'm just thinking of my mum for this next question. Like she, if I sort of put her onto this podcast, she'd be like, ah, oh, I don't know, whatever. I don't really understand it. Why, why, why would we want to change it? You know, like it seems, but I think for a lot of people out there, like this sense would be maybe the system seems to work pretty well and, and, and whatever. Why, why, why would we change it? Do you know how popular, do you have any data on how popular New Zealand Becoming Republic is? So we know that um, one of the biggest things that makes the monarchy popular in New Zealand is the Queen. Um, I mean, that's, that's actually true across most, most countries that still have the Queen as head of state. Um, and largely that is driven by a sense of nostalgia. Um, I mean, you know, the Queen's 95 now. She's you know, been our head of state since you know, the 50s. So you know, she co- has covered a, a fairly big swathe of um, our history, etc. So you know, there's a lot of very positive feeling towards the Queen. When you take uh, the Queen out of the equation, though, um, which is you know, unfortunately an inevitability of the system, um, support for the monarchy actually plummets. And so what that tells us is that essentially a lot of people like the monarchy because of the Queen. Um, but you take that you know, personal connection that people feel that they have away uh, and they don't necessarily support um, what comes next. And so our polling, we've looked at that question We've seen that support has increased, um, you know, reasonably substantially over the last twenty or so years. So I think last time we polled on it, it was fifty-five uh, percent for a republic and thirty-nine percent for the monarchy. Um, so and the rest undecided. So you've got, um, you know, obviously quite a few people who like the monarchy, but you've got people who who want to have change. The demographics of that are also quite interesting, um, and that's the the biggest driver of it is that you've got. A lot of people under the age of 55 um, who support a republic, people over the age of 55 who tend to support the monarchy. And that that largely is where the split lies. Um, you look at particular uh, demographics, uh, Māori tend to support a republic actually quite strongly. Um, I suspect that's because of the colonial history. Um, but then you also look at you know, other demographics, for example, um, women tend to support the monarchy more than men, um, which is, I suspect, you know, Reflection of a whole bunch of different factors, but, you know, probably actually down to the Queen again. Mm, So it sounds like the tide's turning, really, for the public. 
in terms of their support for Republic. But I'm interested in knowing what the appetite for change is like among our politicians. Like I can imagine there's some conservative politicians that want to keep the status quo. What's your idea of that? Yeah, so so mainly the people who support keeping the monarchy tend to be the more you know, conservative members of parliament. Um, you know, they tend to be generally more socially conservative. So that's sort of as you'd expect. People who um, I think you know like to think of the monarchy as symbolising tradition and, and all those sorts of things. Support for the re- republic tends to come more from the, the left side of politics. Um, you know, mainly centre left. Um, but I mean, having said that, you know, I think. On the top of my head, uh, the last time we polled, it was, uh, I think, about 50-50 for Labour supporters and about uh, two-thirds for the monarchy, uh, one-third for Republican national supporters. It's still quite high, yeah. It's still quite high. It's higher than I imagined. Yeah, I would have thought it would have been a bit more sort of Mm. like anti. Yeah, I think the traditions and the symbolism, like you mentioned, I thought that more people would be just kind of wanting to stick with how things are. Hmm. I think that there's, I think that there's the the argument in terms of uh, change. Do you, you know to support becoming a republic? And this is part of our campaign, really, is that um, while there might be people who say that they do support change, it doesn't necessarily translate into um, into action. So they might say, "Oh, look, we'll wait for the queen um, until the end of her reign." They'll, you know, they'll say, "Oh, look, let's, you know, we don't need to rush things. We need to have a conversation about this," and you know, that's fine. But I think the, the, the broader stroke is that, yeah, the uh, trajectory of support generally is in favour of change. But the issue is, as you say, that a lot of people will say to you, oh, but, you know, this isn't broken. Um, well, of course, our argument is that actually it is broken because fundamentally, if you've got a head of state that is really supposed to be a symbol of your country uh, to the world, it's a nonsense for us to have a head of state that uh, really doesn't represent us to the world. Um, and this is something that, you know, we get uh, people who are in, you know, the diplomatic corps um, uh, come out and say things like, you know, it's it's ridiculous when we go to, you know, countries like Singapore or Germany. Um, they know what a governor general is, um, but they can't treat our governor general as our head of state because they're actually not. And that is essentially where, you know, we come from and say, well, the system clearly is broken. Uh, because it doesn't do what it says it does on the tin, which is, you know, we're supposed to be a uniting symbol uh, that brings everyone together. Um, and they, you know, they they just cannot do that anymore. I'm wondering, Lewis, you know, we have the national anthem, we've got our money, the Queen's all over the place, you know, lots of references to the monarchy and and all of these sort of things. Um, what's your sense of what will happen to those things once we New Zealand becomes a republic? So, so the money thing's interesting. So we have actually asked the Reserve Bank about what happens with money. And they said to us that basically they don't get rid of the money um, straight away. So so all of those $20 notes that have got the Queen's picture on them, they'll actually just stay as is. And then they'll cycle in, you know, Charles right. if it's Charles. Um, and, and that'll just change over time. So all of those little, little things will, will change anyway. And I think if we went down the Republic path, that's probably what would happen. You'd probably, I mean, you wouldn't go to the expense of reprinting every single, uh, you know, twenty dollar note because it's got a picture of the Queen on it. We just, we just eventually change that. I mean, the Fijians, I mean, they've been in Republic since nineteen eighty seven, and they've kept the Queen on all of their notes and everything, even with new coins and things that they've made. So, so you don't have to, um, you, you don't have to change those things straight away. The anthem's an interesting one. Um, I, probably the main thing I'd say about the anthem is that we've actually got two. 
Um, one is God Save the Queen, uh, and the other is God Defend New Zealand. Now, no one I know, um, you know, I mean, I'm in, in my 30s, sings God Save the Queen. Um, you know, it's not, it's not seen as a New Zealand anthem. And yet, you know, in the 1970s, it actually was. Up until 1977, it was actually our, our anthem. Um, and it wasn't until an Olympic Games where one of our rowing teams won gold and they played God Save the Queen. And everyone was a bit like, well, what's going on here? Uh, you know, it's not, this isn't a UK team winning, it's a New Zealand team. And, and that was the reason why they eventually adopted uh, God Defend New Zealand as a co-equal um, you know, co anthem, which, you know, I kind of think that's, that's pretty much what will happen with the, you know, name of the country as well, by the way, because, you know, you have the sort of argument about New Zealand, Aotearoa and all this sort of thing. It's like, well, look, let's just use both and see which one is more popular um, because that's basically what they did in the 70s. And, of course, eventually no one really sings God Save the Queen. Everyone sings God Defend New Zealand when it's our anthem. And that's mm. what we see as our anthem now. We talked about before about people's personal attachment to the Queen and that being a huge reason mm. for those who are still in support of the monarchy. What do you think would change if the Queen or when the Queen passes away? Do you think that will um, increase the support of people for New Zealand to be a republic? I think it will. I think it's pretty clear that um, even now, um, support in the Commonwealth, and the, the, the remaining countries that still have the Queen as the head of state, um, you know, that is now in, in decline. You know, Barbados, uh, which is a country in the Caribbean, they're in the process of becoming a republic by the end of this month, actually. Um, and Prince Charles is going to jet off there to basically do the do the handover, say, you know, thanks very much. Sorry about the slavery. Um, you know, <laughs> about that. You know, you know, and enjoy being a republic sort of thing. So, yeah, I think I think that sentiment will accelerate. So you'll probably see all of those Caribbean countries like Jamaica, Belize, uh, St. Lucia, all of those countries move to having their own heads of state. And that really leaves, um, you know, uh, a couple of uh, places in the Pacific, Tuvalu, um, is another one, but they've been having discussions about uh, becoming a republic for years and years. They just haven't quite got there in terms of making that choice. Um, you know, Papua New Guinea have talked about it a little bit. Australia, as I mentioned, they've already had a referendum. Um, they'll probably have another one. Um, they, you know, they under their constitution, have to. Um, and the interesting thing about Australia is that they, next time, will probably do that alongside a reconciliation uh, referendum um, actually acknowledging uh, the existence of uh, the Aboriginal people of Australia uh, in their constitution, which is you know, something they, they actually haven't done to date. Um, yeah, but it seems to me the way that the debate is evolving is is very much in that direction. Mm. Um, and that, of course, then leaves um, Canada, which uh, you know Canada has its own things with uh, the French-speaking part, uh, Quebec of Canada, and how that sort of fits into their whole federation that they've got, and us. Um, and as I said, with with us, it's really a question around uh, to treaty and, and how that discussion goes rather than, you know, do we think the, the monarchy is actually relevant? Because most people don't actually think it's relevant to us anymore and it's not. So Charles is next. This, I don't know, big hunky guy, like seriously sexy dude. Amazing. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that the Republican movement and New Zealand Republic more generally is looking at when the queen passes away it's got to be like the big sort of push for you guys right and i i know just before we started recording you mentioned something about um some politicians talking about this stuff but that's got to be your real time to strike 
Um, what you know, what what sort of stuff are you doing around that? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, now now is the time to start the discussion. It really is because, I mean, look, monarchy by its nature is about the lifespan of the monarch. I mean, that, that's what it is, unfortunately. So people say, oh, it's a bit churlish to talk about, you know, when the queen passes away and all these sorts of things. Well, unfortunately, that that is the system that we have. Eventually, the queen will pass away. She's a human, you know, and we only have a set lifespan. So that that will happen one day. And what we're saying now um, to, you know, political groups, etc., and you mentioned... Um, yeah, I think I mentioned that the Labour Party had to start a discussion at their annual conference. Um, is we're saying to them, look, you need to be prepared for this because there will be a changeover. And it may be that actually a lot of the other countries within the Commonwealth will make the change. And so you need to be ready for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so our campaign year really is is focused on that uh, on that eventuality. But the other thing that we say is, is you know, th- this is really about us setting the time frame. It's not about, um, you know, it's not about the Royals. It's not about Charles. It's not about William. It's not about Harry or Megan or any of those guys. It's actually about us. And so, I mean, often we've talked about, we want to become a Republic before 2040, before the 200th anniversary uh, of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi, because that is the thing that really is about, um, you know, this country that we all share in. It's, the thing that really brings us all together, uh, not the monarchy, not anything else. And so we we focus on that as a time frame rather than whatever the British royals are doing. Because at the end of the day, we don't think they're relevant to us. Um, most people tend to agree with us. And so you know, we say, oh, look, we set our own time frame on this. Mm. Back in the time of another sexy, hunky bloke, John Key, <laughs> um, of course, we had the whole flag change debate Saga? <laughs> yep. What are your views on that? We'll say saga. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I was, uh, as you would expect, very much in favour of changing the flag. Um, I think you can't have an independent country and then go around with a, a Union Jack, which is the flag of the United Kingdom on your flag. And so, you know, whatever we might think about the process, and I've got you know my own personal views on, on that, uh, obviously, I mean... Um, long story short, there were things that we could have done a lot better. Um, a lot of people, I think, were quite annoyed by the fact that you had two variations of essentially the same flag put up um, in the, the initial vote. Um, and there was a feeling, I think, of undue influence as well. And so that really put us in a difficult position. I, I would say, though, that, I mean, you know, and I was part of the, the campaign to change the flag. You know, we went from... In, I think it was 2015, there was 75% of people saying they wouldn't vote for change till you know, the end result, which was, I think, 43% uh, in favour wow, of change. Wow, so, quite a change in, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was things like, people would say things uh, to me like, oh, you know, if we change it, you know, it means we're out of the Commonwealth. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that if we're a republic as well, we'd still be a member of the Commonwealth um, because most members of the Commonwealth actually now are republics. Uh, and don't have the Union Jack on their flag. Um, and so you, you get these sort of things. So it was quite a useful debate from the perspective that you actually you know, got out a lot of information and, and people were having discussions about you know identity and what it means to be a citizen and all these things that we really are keen on people talking about. Um, but yeah, in the end we lost and that I think um, you know probably set us back a bit uh, in terms of that, that national conversation. But look, I mean, there's a lot of people 
who supported change, you just said, well, look, you know, maybe the design wasn't right. Maybe mm. that wasn't one that was supported by enough people. Um, we know there was polling done right after the flagged vote on the reasons why people voted against it. And the number one reason was that people wanted to send a message to John Key. And so yeah. the 100%. reason why people voted against change was not because they necessarily wanted to keep the flag. It was actually because they wanted to say, you know, whatever they wanted to say to John Key. So that, and, and I think you had to go two or three reasons down the list before you actually got to one which was about why you would keep the Union Jack on your flag. And it was to do with, of course, well, you know, our ancestors fought and died for this flag, um, which I actually think, you know, is a valid reason. A lot of people forget, though, that in the legislation, uh, in the law that uh, they passed, we actually got to keep the old flag. Um, and so the veterans would have been able to use the old flag for, you know, the likes of Anzac Day and Armistice Day and all those sort of events. So it wouldn't have been illegal. So, so they could have kept that flag and it would have been, uh, you know, a symbol for... Um, people who'd fought under it, um, and we could have had our own, you know, national flag. But you know, I think that that debate will be revisited eventually. Um, oh, I was going to ask you know, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my my view is, um, I know that John Key said that he wouldn't have a referendum if he did it again. Um, you know, my my view is that 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 issue will be revisited once we become a republic. Mm. Um, I think that it it, it would be one um, that sort of those sort of you know one of those subsequent changes that come about um you know over the years not necessarily one that happens straight away so i guess one last question before we um before we wrap up for full transparency i was like personally i was like yeah change the flag i don't even care what it was to be really honest i was just like i just don't like having union jack on our flag i was like it just makes my brain melt every time i think about it (laughs) but i remember having chats to my friends about this and there there was no talk about the flag design other than it was they were not very good in my mm. opinion um and the one of the first things we will talk about is about john key it wasn't about like the idea of identity which is actually this, to me what was more important of an issue i guess my question mm. is like and it, well, it ended up being politicized i guess my question is is do you could you see a future where this debate is not politicized or do you think it's inevitable that it will be politicized yeah that that's a hard one because what we saw with the flag debate of course was an issue that had been bubbling away for years and years and years suddenly become very political um i think the thing with the flag debate was that john key had done a number of things which i think a lot of people had thought were you know backwards moves um and and we certainly did so one of them was you know restoring titles uh knighthoods and damehoods uh, and a whole bunch of other bits and pieces which uh you know a lot of people were saying well you know this is the guy's now talking about independence but he's also saying you know we should have these british honors and that sort of thing so i think when you've got a uh, a narrative which starts off with you know we want to bring back all these colonial symbols but we also want to get rid of one um, people will look at that slightly, you know, cynically and go, what's this really about? Um, I mean, and it was really about uh, John Key's legacy. Um, and I think that was the thing that you know, really annoyed people about it. So in, in the Republic debate, then, well, okay, how do you, how do you avoid politicizing it? I, I think it's reasonably straightforward. Um, you just don't, you just don't do that. Hmm. Um, you know, you don't have someone who in government um, brings back a whole bunch of monarchical, 
colonial type symbols uh, and then turns around and says oh by the way we should have our own head of state so and, and that is uh, you know a particular thing to do with whichever politician ends up leading this it may be the you know the current prime minister um, who has been a republican and has said so uh, for a you know, number of years um, so she's not uh, you know Jacinda Ardern is not like John Key in the sense that you know she doesn't she's not going to wake up one day and go oh it'll be a great idea to have a, a vote on a republic I think if the prime minister were to do that most people would go yeah we you know we thought that's what you'd do because we know that you'd support that um, I think the sort of surprise with John Key was that yeah he suddenly said oh we're gonna have a vote on changing the flag and everyone was a bit like but you brought back all of these other things so as long as you don't have that sort of um, you know confusion about what your narrative is, I think you're pretty much okay keeping the nasty political side of things out of it. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Lewis. Where can we find more a bit about the New Zealand Republic? Yeah, sure. So um, probably the, the main places are our website, which is www.republic.org.nz. Uh, but we're on you know, Insta, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all of the normal places. Um, so yeah, you can find find us there. We've got lots of information on the website, uh, frequently asked questions, more detail on the treaty issue, etc., etc. Awesome, Lewis. Thank you so much for for taking the time to to chat to us tonight. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Kia ora. Hey, hey, Bex. Do you? Th- <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we should get rid of the Queen? I mean, not the Queen, the monarchy, or we should become an independent country? You know what? Everything that Lewis said, it just makes sense. Why have a Queen who is so far away, so detached from what's actually going on in New Zealand as the head of state? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, totally. Can you? Do you know of anybody that would want to keep like still be a part of the monarchy and what their arguments might be? Yeah, I mean, I think, and we kind of, you know, made reference to this in the interview, but I think those of an older generation, thinking about people like my mum, for example, I mean, I haven't actually had this discussion with her, but I can imagine that she feels some kind of warm, fuzzy attachment to the Queen and the royal family. Um, I think that generation grew up a lot more seeing them like on TV and following all the different, you know, ceremonies and milestones that the royal family went through. So I can imagine that those, you know, that generation would still, I guess, have some kind of investment in the monarchy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it as well. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. Like, there's nothing that I disagreed with. I <laughs> no. was like, okay, yeah. like not, none, none of it. I mean, I've been anti, well, pro-republic, I guess, however you want to put it. For ages, it's mm. never sat well with me. Mm. I mean, I, I made reference in the in, in the interview as well about how okay, you'd see people traveling around the world, and often they'll have like a little flag on their on their backpack or something like that, just to sort of show where they're at. And I just all I see is a Union Jack, and it's like well, we're not actually part of that. We're New Zealand is New Zealand. I don't know. It just it's never sat with me. I don't know. So. Yeah, no, for sure. The other thing as well that comes to mind is around Tangata Whenua and Māori. I think this is a like becoming a republic is a great opportunity for Māori to actually have more of an equal say in what our constitution would look like. Yes, that's really interesting. So I think it could be really great for Māori rights. Yeah, because you could you could really push hard on some like furthering Māori rights within within New Zealand and uh, and they should too because it's the perfect opportunity. Yeah. Um yeah, let's just hope it's not politicized. That's all I would say. I know. Well, Jacinda Ardern says she thinks that we'll become a republic in her lifetime. And yeah, I really hope that we do. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Next week, 
wait for next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a start, we'll give you an update on on Bex's cummies. Absolutely, there will be an, ups- an update and a lot, lot more. Ciao. Kia ora.